This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. <laughs> the transfer window is part of the Daily Record Podcast Network. Subscribe at iTunes or Audio Boom. Good day. Welcome to the Transfer Window Podcast, where we bring you the news, views and inside stories from what's going on in football. Today we'll be discussing Tottenham's Deli Alley, who has begun the grandest of audition processes in football by meeting the world's top agents before deciding who will represent him and ask, does this mark the beginning of his move away from Spurs? In Barcelona, club officials are insisting on an almost daily basis that the contracts of Leo Messi and Andres Iniesta are agreed and must need signing. So why has nobody found a pen? And is there any chance of either or both could still leave the camp now? Meanwhile, former Barcelona star Alexis Sanchez is wanted by Manchester United, Manchester City and Real Madrid. Could the fact that he was left on the bench for Arsenal's creditable draw at Chelsea last weekend be a sign that he will be on his way out of the Emirates in the January window? And of course, we have to talk about Europe's newest club, Hollywood. Edison Cavani's spat with Neymar over who's on penalty duty could see him leave the club, but he's not even first to the Exodore, with Angel Di Maria, Julian Draxler, Marco Verratti and Lucas Moura all looking for a way out of Paris Saint-Germain and possibly in January. I'm Ian McGarry and joining me for today's Transfer Window podcast is Spanish football expert and legendary crooner, Graham Hunter. <laughs> Graham, how are you? Happier with the second part of my description there, much happier with that. <laughs> Indeed, well, those of us who have been privileged to uh, share a karaoke <laughs> mic with you would all agree. You've gone too far, you've gone too far. So let's, let's start, Graham, with uh, with Deli Ali, um, one of football's hottest properties uh, and with a temper to match, so it seems, or at least a, a, a personality, in my view, uh, when it comes to FIFA. Um, for the last three weeks, we understand that uh, he's been meeting with agents of the uh, regard of George Mendes, who obviously represents Jose Mourinho uh, and about half of the rest of the world of football. Mino Raiola, who, as we know as well, um, represents Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Paul Pogba, to name but two. Um, And also, interestingly, David Beckham's representative, Simon Oliveira, um, who also has some commercial deals with some of the world's biggest stars. Now, we know that he's parted with his former agent, and uh, is now effectively going through the process of appointing his new one by um, talking to them. And I suppose the question is, Graham, what's he talking to them about? Because this is a player you would have to expect. There is no limit to the possibilities of where he could and will play. I, th- I think it's, um, without knowing Deli Ali as a person at all, I think it's important, from my point of view, to focus on on the array of choices that are available to him, and and what job an agent is supposed to do for you. I think that that we've both met a wide variety of agents to whom we uh, became, if not um, helpful, certainly 
there was a mutual there was a level of mutual involvement there was a there was definitely a case that we chose very carefully which agents we would and wouldn't speak to who we trusted um, trusted not only in terms of their word but their actions now if you multiply that by about a billion and you look at the way in which um, the world of agency or representation has mutated beyond almost all um, description since uh, you and I were working uh, shoulder to shoulder. There's been a polarization. Um, and if you look at the George Mendes organization, um, if you look at Raiola, the way in which club boards, club presidents, football directors have now become reliant on these mega agents in a way that even though there were market leaders before, let's say 10, 15 years ago, uh, these behemoths are on a, on a point of being nearly as uh, powerful as the people who run the clubs. They can click their fingers and things don't happen for a club, click their fingers and things do happen for a club. They buy shares in clubs. They um, dictate when a club can buy or sell. And therefore, if you're one of their favoured clients... It isn't simply, I've got the number of the president or I've got the number of the football director. It's, I've, I'm probably going to be the boss in this operation. So, for example, while my respect for Maxwell is extremely high, um, while I think that Maxwell has been part of the progression of Paris Saint-Germain, the fact that he and, our, he and uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic were umbilically tied whenever Zlatan moved, um, to my mind, told you a great deal about what it was worth to be a valued, if not five-star member of Minerola's, what would you call it? Stable. Yes. Call it stable. And therefore, if Deli Ali, who is, in my view, at the moment, there's just something of a lashback at me, and I, I believe because he's patently, extremely talented. He's a footballer who Number one, I enjoy watching and would pay as a fan would pay to watch. And secondly, it's a, it's evident that he's at a very young stage of his personal and football development. Yes. And therefore, you'd imagine there's a lot to come. If he has chosen, and I make no comment on his previous agent, if he has chosen to break and to move, he should there should be a beauty parade. He should be a desirable client, and he should be putting these people through their paces. And therefore, the process seems to me to be um entirely uh, intelligent and the only thing i would throw in now is that that he makes the right choice for the right reasons and isn't swayed by um the wrong types of promises because he's a very hot property and they will be fighting tooth and nail to get him and how he retains what what counsel he takes in the process of assessing all the eyelash fluttering and pouted lip kissing, ear kissing that he gets during this beauty parade, that will be absolutely dominant in, 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 in what advice he's given in the next and, and crucial stage of his career and development. That's, it's very interesting, I think, uh, Graham, that he's chosen to go down the route of effectively interviewing <clears throat> the world's best agents. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I suspect, and I don't know, but I suspect that in the current model of how football works, um, for instance, uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic joined Manchester United under Mina Raiola. Manchester United wanted Paul Pogba. They went to 
Mino and said, do whatever you can, make sure that he comes to us. What happens? Another client of Raiola, Henrik Mkhitaryan, also moves to Manchester United in the same window. <clears throat> it's almost now the case that if you, as a player, want to go to a certain club, then you choose the agent who you trust will get you to that club. Whereas before, as you've alluded to in your opening remarks, it used to be the club, the buying club, that is, who was in charge of making sure the player came to them. Now it appears to be that the buying club has to have a good relationship, good client-to-club relationship with the player's agent. So with that in mind, I suppose we could hypothesise that if Dele Alli wants to move to Real Madrid in the future, then he would choose George Mendes, who, as we know, has been a very big influence at Real Madrid and through transfers for some time now, likewise at Paris Saint-Germain. Whoever he wanted to move in England, possibly Manchester United, I, then Mino Raiola would be his choice. I buy the hypothesis, you know, I definitely buy that the, the, the strategic thinking that you're offering there, but without knowing exactly what he is doing, I would hope that his first thoughts are potentially something different because when David Pleat backed um, Dele Alli's signing and told Spurs, do it now, they also catapulted the player into um, a quicker learning trajectory. Fame, better wages, an England place, uh, Champions League football. Now, I'm not going to trot out the hoary old... Um, he automatically owes them a contract renewal and four more years. But I do think that before he... Not we in this discussion. Before he uses whichever agent or, or agency... He selects before he's thinking strategically about um, is this automatically my bridge to uh, Manchester City, Manchester United, Milan, Juventus, Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid, whatever. The fact you you and I both know that he's working at a club where even the star players find it very, very hard to renegotiate the kind of money yes. they know that their peers are getting elsewhere <clears throat> from Daniel Levy. Exactly so right. The first criteria about choosing the agent and the agency must be, do I back this guy to negotiate on even terms with Daniel Levy? Yeah. Well, that case in point, um, Harry Kane's latest upgrade um, got him £120,000 a week. Now, when you think that Zlatan Ibrahimovic at 35, was earning £340,000 a week as a striker at Manchester United. You'd have to say that Dele Alli would look around, as Danny Rose did, and then spoke his mind um, about the uh, wage cap or wage structure, whatever you want to call it, at Tottenham Hotspur, and that is that he will not earn as much at Tottenham as he would at any other major club in Europe. Um, Harry Kane's a very different case in point. He seems to be happy to stay at Tottenham happy to take the money that's offered to him and get an upgrade every time he bangs in 15 goals, but he will never be earning the, the likes of Neymar or Zlatan or Pogba if he stays at Spurs. What I'd say to you, Graham, is with this move to employ a new agent, do you think that this be, is the beginning of the end of Dale Alley's Spurs career? And I'm not talking about him leaving in the January window or even next summer's window. I'm talking about the fact that he's made this very progressive, intelligent decision based on where he sees himself in two, three, four, five years? It, it's, it's not, I guess it's not what we're asked to come on this podcast to do, if, if I use the phrase, I don't know very often. But I think you and I try to be brutally honest. And I say I don't know because I, 
stranger things have happened in Delhi Alley to have formed um, a warm, glowing love affair with the club. Let's say, let's paint an alternate strategy against what I think will happen. Pochettino stays for four or five years. Spurs go close in the Champions League this year. He enjoys playing at Wembley. The new stadium's around the corner. They begin, whether they begin to win the Premier League or not, they begin to win trophies. There's a scenario which I don't think is ridiculous that we see five, six years of Delhi Alley at, at Tottenham Hotspur. Honestly, uh, again, your strategic thinking, the chances are, if, if you just do a, a pure actuarial risk management assessment, he'll sign with an agent who will gain far more if the player moves. He will gain more in terms of reputation. Yes. He will gain more in commission. The player's profile will rise. The spotlight will be on them. It will probably lead to, or it it it's feasible it leads to the type of bundle deal that you're talking about. Well, if you move this, if I do this for you, you'll take this player, I'll take that player. We'll move that player on. This player that's already at your club will get a new. There is now far less at the elite level and Deli Ali, I think is going to be playing at the elite level in terms of wherever he moves from Tottenham whenever that may be one year two years five years it, it at, at this development uh, clubs would would fight for him he he is a player of that kind of movement and ability and goal scoring potential and I think that the little blip he's having with a single finger salute is 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 a complete irrelevant um and therefore I, I go back to the idea about your proposition that it's beginning to... Another thing to throw into the mix is that Daniel Levy is is not only rigidly strict about what he thinks the players should um, earn. He's not, as was the case with um, Bergkamp and Wenger and the infamous wage cap there, and Robin van Persie, these negotiations that... Um, that it was so slow for Wenger, who had a Levy-like grip on, on his club. The, the movement is not quick. Daniel Levy does not easily uh, move his position, move his strategy. It's it's very much tunnel vision. As successful as it's been, if you look at them corporately, in terms of marketing, in terms of the Spurs brand, in terms of the new stadium, in terms of where they're playing at, which managers they attract, how they scout, he's a he's a you know he's an A plus. What players and, and 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 scouts, excuse me, players and agents around that club would argue right now is that they, he and they could be A plus plus if he was more flexible. That, but he is yeah. dogged and dogmatic. So the agency that he's the answer to your question will come with not this discussion, but the choice of agent that Deli Ali makes, yeah. and you'll be able to, particularly you rather than me, uh, you'll be able to interpret whether. That's a choice of agent that says, I want somebody who's going into hand-to-hand combat with Levy because I'd like three more years. Or that's a choice of agent that says, if the right offer comes along next summer, they will agitate for it. Yeah, absolutely. And um has to be said that we will bring you the uh, news of Delhi Ali's beauty pageant with agents uh, as soon as it uh, transpires here on the Transform New Podcast. And I'm um, sure we'll be having that exact discussion that Graham described there with regard to interpreting that choice. Now, from North London to Catalonia, where uh, club officials are seemingly insistent that two of their greatest and most legendary players in Leo Messi and Andres Iniesta have agreed new contracts. And yet, every time, uh, the very uh, vociferous and diligent Catalan media pursue the question again about finding the pen, no one seems to have that answer. Um, obviously, 
Graham Hunter is someone who is very close to the club uh, and it would be very, very interesting, Graham, to hear the, your interpretation of the latest non-events with regards to uh, these two players, as well as, of course, does this leave any bargaining room at all with a chance to them leaving the camp now? It's the dry ink phenomenon. Uh, you and I were working in and around football in Glasgow when Morris Johnson was paraded on the pitch for one club and signed for the other. Um, it was one of the the key lessons that until the ink is dry, no matter what people think or say, a deal's not done. Um, maybe the biggest selling book in the history of business has closed that deal. Above and beyond that, a layer on this story has to be why um, does President Bartomeu, who's currently um, facing a vote of no confidence, which is part of the statutes where votes are being gathered to see whether the margin necessary is passed. Why has he felt it necessary to lie, Ian? Lie about Messi? Mm -hmm. And then lie about Iniesta? Um, in the case of Iniesta, uh, the the club captain at 33, World Cup winning goal scorer, um, didn't actively call Bartomeu out. He simply answered a question from reporters who said, Bartomeu says your contract, there is a, there are heads of agreement is um, in place and there is a broad um, understanding that everything's been um, ticked and you'll resign. Is it true? And Iniesta said to the reporters, no, it's not. And Iniesta is the uh, least publicly pugnacious, least strategic, least aggressive guy that you could find in this situation. He will not... Uh, bend over in terms of terms and conditions um, on what will be his last contract at Barcelona simply because he loves the club. But he has said over and over and over and over again, I want the club's interest to come first. I will not, I don't want to be part of a public uh, bargaining row. And given the type of person he is, the type of family man he is, it that I take that and how I know him, that I take that to be absolute fact. So why has Bartomeu said, Everything is in place. We've got broad <clears throat> agreement, and and Iniesta has been forced well, to say I'm, not true. I suppose the, the obvious answer to that would be because Bartomeu himself is in trouble, and he needs desperately needs good news. Mm. And look, I, I think it'd be too easy for us, certainly for me, to sit in England and say this is the Neymar effect. This is the cost Barcelona will have to pay for losing one of their best players to a seemingly smaller, inferior rival in Paris Saint-Germain. I think that's too easy. I think we have to contextualise it in Barcelona's last uh, campaign, in the, the feeling, I think, in world football that Real Madrid, with their Champions League dominance, have superseded Barcelona's own dominance in that competition. And that, in the mind of any player, even one as loyal as Andres Iniesta, and even, let's dare to say it, Leo Messi, are asking themselves the question, this is our last contract, our last big contract. Messi at 30 or 29, possibly. Uh, it, yeah, 30. And yes, they're at 33. And they're asking themselves the question that anyone in a workplace would ask themselves. Uh, with the years I have ahead of me, am I going to achieve what I need and want to achieve in those years? Well, that's just Messi texting me now saying... As he's he not He said, I've not, I've not found the pen yet. Um, so... Uh, I think it is the case that they're asking themselves the question, 
albeit as, as almost un, un, sort of, you know, unrealistic it would have been three years ago, maybe I should go somewhere else. There, there's another clue. There's another clue because in, in terms of Iniesta, it's absolutely patently clear that Juventus are blowing kisses at him. Um, that the prestige of having a last season or two of Andres Iniesta for you is very high. Andres Iniesta has been um, elliptical in his comments and said, you know, there are several things in a non-football sense that have happened around the club over the last year, year and a half that have made me doubt. He is definitely, factually, as you've suggested, weighing up the idea about do I finish somewhere else or do I finish here? I think that in terms of the overall momentum of whether he stays or goes, the relationship with Valverde, how often Iniesta is playing compared to the way that Lucien Riquet simply didn't put full faith in Iniesta's physical condition. That was, Iniesta said over and over again under Luis Enrique, I'm, I'm as happy as I can be. It's wonderful. And But deep down, what was clearly gnawing at him was, am I being retired a little bit early? But I go back to the, the fact that that contract is not signed. He's out of contract in strategic terms next to June. And Bartomeu lied about it. And Bartomeu has said now, across the summer, beginning in a, a live broadcast on ESPN in California during that series of matches against um, uh, Manchester United and Real Madrid, Messi has signed. Then it transpired he hadn't. Um, Bartomeu went again to the well to drink the poisoned um, liquid and said it, it is signed. And what transpires now, he's had to break it down and say, well, Messi hasn't signed anything, but the foundation has signed one contract. His father has signed another contract. The Playing contract really just needs the, the formalization of the picture and, and where's the pen. Now, this has been on the go since um, prior to uh, Messi coming back from having lost um, the South American Championship in the final a year after having lost the World Cup final. Barcelona were one late to the table and approached him after yet another defeat in the final, this time to Chile. Um, they were told to go away. Don't want to talk now. Messi, you know, tearfully retired from Argentinian football, bleached his hair blonde, kind of took the rest of the summer off and just went, get out of my head, get out of my face, leave me alone. It's then dragged on all the way through whereby at least there have been discussions, there have been some talks. But as of now, Messi has been available to sign on the dotted line that Bartomeu again has said everything is complete as he said with Iniesta for many many months now it hasn't happened and irrespective of what Bartomeu is claiming until the player um, signs his name on the playing contract for a deal to take him to 2021 the, the hard fact is um, Jorge uh, Messi uh, may be legitimately able to sign on behalf of his son on certain things. But if Leo Messi says the playing contract isn't signed, all the other things become um, invalid. In, in this <coughs> hypothesis yeah. again, then come January 1st, as we sit right now, come January 1st, he's free to do what he wants. He can now, sign a pre-contract with any other club on January he, the 1st he for no fee. Financial I mean, fair play well, is now not then becomes not a that problem. is that in itself was an astonishing fact given that we are now September 2017 
and he's that... about to disappear off. He's not going to be in club business at the end of next week. He's going to disappear off for another couple of weeks playing with Argentina. Yeah. And by that time, we're into October. Now, d- deep down, Ian, I, I, I believe that there have been negotiations. I believe that the, the, the structure for Messi to stay exists. I do not believe that Bartomeu is lying to that extent. But Messi is, without any question, holding off um, to see how the vote of no confidence goes, to evidence the fact that he's, he has not been happy with the football development of the club that's, that is stewarded by Bartomeu, even though there is a football director. And it's, it's, a, it's a pretty public vote of no confidence in the president. Underneath all of this, I, and neither do I have any question that in his bottom line wish, because of his domestic life and his football prowess, that his preference is to stay. But I go back to Morris Johnson. You, you, you and I both know that the weirdest things can happen yeah. if you leave a chink of movement for the big players in football. The strangest things can happen. So I have to say that um, the uh, football director and chief executive of Manchester City have been involved in several meetings with uh, representative Leo Messi, mainly his father, Jorge, as uh, Graham was saying. Uh, regarding a possible move to Manchester City. They obviously haven't given up um, in terms of as long as that, that pen's not been found and the ink's not dry. So um, it's one to watch, I think. Um, I don't think it's one that we'll see happen in January. But if Messi hasn't signed that contract before then, then I think there'll be all sorts of intense speculation regarding where Messi and even Anders Iniesta um, end up next summer. Um from uh, from two current Barcelona stars to uh, a former one, Alexis Sanchez, a, a favourite subject of ours on the Transfer Window podcast. Um, it, it transpired this week that Manchester United and Jose Mourinho have uh, registered interest in the player who, it seems, uh, we think will leave in January, having um, failed to leave on the last day of the summer window. Um, and that means Arsenal will... St- recoup some of the £28 million they paid Barcelona for him four years ago. Now, obviously, and we've spoken about this expansively, um, is that Manchester City and Real Madrid are also in the in the hunt for, for Sanchez. But um, I just wonder what you thought, Graham, in terms of Mourinho's United. They're obviously doing well in the Premier League. They've started well in the Champions League. Um, Mourinho seems to be getting his confidence back. If Sanchez is looking at a project, is he looking at a project in Manchester where he will definitely play? Because uh, you look at their three attacking midfielders behind uh, Romelu Lukaku and you'd have to say there's room for Alexis Sanchez to fit in there um, very nicely and on a week-to-week basis. Whereas at Manchester City and Real Madrid, there's a, a queue of uh, very talented and attacking midfield, goal-scoring midfielders that he may have to join. Would you say United is a better fit than City or Real, or, or would you reckon that his best bet is, is elsewhere? When I met and interviewed him, one of the things that um, he I, I did so twice, but when we one of the interviews was about his personality, his character, his beliefs, and he's one of those guys who has never lost um, the things that drove him when he was young. They were very impoverished as a family. Earning money is important to him. He's gone and invested huge sums in his home community. There are many people who's uh, livelihoods are owed to Alexis Sanchez. Um, he's brought footballing facilities to his relatively small community um, at home in Chile. He made a big deal of the fact that when he was a youngster and everybody was laughing at him when he said he'd be a professional footballer and indeed his mum 
was like yes on whatever that he promised her then he would make her life secure now he's long since done that but you you never lose that desire once it's imprinted on your personality to better yourself financially and nobody you and I have met in football irrespective of the brilliant current 1% of salary campaign that Juan Mata and Mats Hummels are, are signed up to that you find nobody in football who even if they're sitting on 60 million say I, I have enough money people in football do really good valuable important things with their money but nobody says I have enough and Alexis Sanchez is going to find himself far wealthier whichever one he chooses but the other part of his personality that he emphasised over and over again is that he 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 is not a player whose confidence is a constant Icelandic geezer of of hot powering water. It's yeah, it it can be affected. He he, it isn't some simply a uh, an absolute desire to I must play all the time because I love the ball. To be as good as we know he can be, he needs to play all the time. And therefore, it, I, I back your argument that it will govern part of his thinking that when there's a market, it, I, I'll be shocked in strategic terms if he, if he moves mid-season. Because it felt to me, as I admit, I felt when other big players run their contract down, I look at Robert Pierce running his contract down at Arsenal and moving and, and being substituted in that Champions League final. I don't know what was in Wenger's mind when Lehman is sent off and it's Pires he chooses to replace. But I know that Pires was hurt and angry. And it's my feeling that in that moment, he went, well, who's not going to be here? Who who can I definitely, rather than strategically, who do I pick? Who, whose feelings don't I mind too much about? Well, Pires is leaving on a free. And truthfully, that winding down of an asset, Henrik Larson showed you can do it at Celtic. There are many more cases, but I think it's a very difficult process. And once you embark on that idea about we are not selling, which Wenger said over and over and over again, and then eventually didn't, albeit that Things came Only damn by default, close. Graham. Only by default. The, 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 it came if damn the, close in the last day. They came it, damn it, close. Well, if, I, I think we're all agreed that if Thomas Lamar had agreed to join Arsenal, then Sanchez would just be at Manchester City. So then I agree with that. But, the, but, the, but Wenger set a course whereby, even though there was flip floppery on the last day or on the final week when Lamar be, might have become available, the hard fact is that if Wenger was engaged in saying we'll take money back for this guy, then he had many months leading up to the summer in which to 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 launch that strategy. He didn't. If he kept him now and sells him mid-season for a couple of bucks, disrupts the squad, puts magnifying glass on his... Well, uh, you, you, his you say that, Graham. Again, you say, you say I think that. I but... ludicrous. Well, you say that, but I would, I would ask the question because... Uh, in in my and I'm sure your experience of of top elite footballers, when they're at a big club, and they're left out for a big game, as Sanchez was last weekend for the game at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea, you look at the manager and you ask what he sees, in order that you're left out. You look at yourself and you ask, what have I done to be to to, to deserve this quite humiliating position on the bench when we're a club and a team in desperate need of points in the Premier League, in desperate need of confidence, etc. etc. Now, tactical, yes, that's true because they got a very creditable draw and they defended like the way they did in the FA Cup final against Chelsea. And that earned them the draw. However, Sanchez must be asking himself, 
it's one thing to stop me from moving. It's another thing to not use me. Uh, uh, back in general, the, the the idea that that's how players think is 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 written like you know, it's very selfish. It's stone. a very selfish it's written stone, and it's, yeah. it's probably the right way for them to think. I would I would only ask, and I don't know the answer to my own question, is that I watched Dembele um, effectively withdraw his labour to get to Barcelona, have a poor preseason, run out in a, in a in the most harmless of uh, events at Getafe at the weekend, and not only do his hamstring, but rupture a tendon that's going to keep him out for three and a half months. Now, effectively, I don't care how it was termed, Alexis Sanchez withdrew his labour during the pre-season, cannot be as fit as he should be, given the mix of strategy, given the mix of uh, stick and carrot between Wenger and Alexis, and given the idea that using him sparingly until uh, a pre-season is topped up. I would argue that there is potentially, and I only see potentially another view to it, that they've decided that um, what they don't want is an injured asset, that they do want to use him sparingly until he's ready. And although the training sessions are training light at Arsenal, Wenger sees Alexis in a different way to us. It could be your way. It absolutely could be that this is a signal of, um, I don't count you in big games. I'll be happy to ship you out for a couple of bucks in Christmas. My only point is, rather than saying that won't happen, um, you know, I'll spit on the whole business if that's if that's how badly it's been handled. It's been ridiculous. If that's what ends up happening from Arsenal's benefit, from Wenger's standpoint, given the amount of control he had in the operation, that that they didn't sell him in the summer for a healthy uh, fee, get the affair dealt with, but they do so in mid-season, that will look to me to be hmm. utter incompetence. It may happen, but I just it will reduce my appreciation of what the heck Arsene Wenger is doing at that club anymore. It would be difficult to reduce anyone's appreciation of what Arsene Wenger is doing <laughs> at Arsenal anymore. Um, and I would like to flag up, as we leave this topic, uh, something that we talked about last week, which is because Alexis Sanchez will be playing in the Europa League this part of the season, he could possibly be given dispensation to play for a Champions League club in the knockout stages if he moves in the January window. We will keep you up to date with that. Now, for those of you with a, a little bit of nouse about history of football, not that long ago, and also a little bit of sense of humour, you will recognise the term FC Hollywood, which applied to the Bayern Munich team, <laughs> that magic Bayern Munich team of the late 1990s, early 2000s. Still then, um, Bundesliga dominant champions, but also uh, many appearances in Champions League finals, they even won a couple um, at that time. And the reason we're called FC Hollywood is because there were so many big stars that the manager and the club decided to put private detectives to follow them around to wherever they went to eat, wherever they went to drink, wherever they went clubbing and who they were kissing on weekends and cuddling up to in the midweek. Then the club wanted to know. Seems to me, Graham, you may disagree, that we have a new FC Hollywood in Europe and that is Paris Saint-Germain. Not Seems to me this. like you're not going to be on the, the Christmas card list for Stefan Effenberg and Oli Kahn and Lothar oh, Matthias anymore. I, 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 I love to. It's all to, factual, but... If Lothar Matthias doesn't send me his, his black bread, then I'll be very disappointed. Uh, anyway, what we saw last week last weekend <laughs> on the pitch, uh, PSG versus Lyon, uh, in a very important game given Lyon's um, recent form and certainly recent, recent championship wins in Ligue 1, was a very, uh, let's just say, um, dramatic uh, incident between Neymar, uh, PSG's golden boy, and obviously the world record signing, 
and Eden Scavani, someone who's been there for a few more years uh, than Neymar, but clearly who feels that penalties are his possession. Um, it was kind of unseemly. It's not the kind of thing we like to see because it, no one comes out. Oh, whoa, any... whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, sorry. That's okay. a red, Let me that's, rephrase that. That's a red rag that. that you it knew is, I was going to go It is for. the kind of thing we like to see, it but it is unseemly. It was brilliant. If you're, if you're the owner of Paris Saint-Germain or a season ticket holder, you don't want to see it. But for everybody else, that was prime viewing. It was the Keystone Cops in colour. Well, it was indeed. I mean, what does it mean for Cavani? Obviously, we know what Neymar's not going to be leaving. I mean, is it overreacting to say that Cavani uh, may, may be surplus to requirements or indeed that Neymar might have a word in the shell like of the owner or the manager and say, I'm not having that nonsense every other week, so you better there, get rid of him? There's so many layers to this because, number one, it's absolutely clear that, you know, you and I both know that David Moyes had Ensign Cavani uh, agreed to join Manchester United. The, the figure um, back then was sufficient until Ensign Cavani said, I'm not coming unless I'm a guaranteed first-team starter every week. That's part of the terms and conditions of my move. And, you know, it may have helped cost him his job, but the Manchester United manager in that day said, no, I'm not guaranteeing that to anybody. Now, although it won't be the first time in the history of organised football that somebody asked for that, we... you. you, you no matter who you are, you can't have it enshrined in your contract that you're a guaranteed first-team starter. So my respect for Ensign Cavani uh, at that point went down, but it, it te- to, to me it tells you a little bit of a story about him, about whether he can recuperate, his ego um, can recuperate from the, the, the very evident slight. The, you know, it was documented by those at the game at the weekend that Cavani didn't go through the mix zone. It's obligatory to at least appear in it, even if you walk through with your headphones on. He went straight down the concrete steps and out into the parking lot, uh, in, the, in, in the underground parking. He wa- he remained in a half. But you, you, you counterbalance that by saying one of the protagonists, Danny Alves, who I absolutely adore, who's funny, eccentric, idiosyncratic, and therefore I identify with very much, but brilliantly talented, and brought there, not simply for his ability, but brought there for his experience, his leadership, his the idea of him being something of a godfather of the dressing room. Now, it was him who was, you know, it tells you something about Neymar too, that in the two big incidents, um, Neymar makes a complete arse of himself at the penalty, not only because he, he humiliates himself and the team and it gets in the way of Cavani and was it in Cavani's head when the penalty is saved because he hasn't taken it well enough, don't know, but Neymar fails. If you're going to do something really immature and childish, <laughs> yeah, exactly. then first of all, get the ball, score, and then put two fingers to the world and say, I don't care if you don't like it. Look, I'm 222 million euros worth of player and I just scored. Well, he, he slunk off. Uh, when the lion turned and roared at him. But in the other incident, the free kick, because Danny is a bigger man, sharper, much more streetwise, he got the ball first, told Edison Cavani where he could go and snuck the ball off like a like an old lax handoff, you know, in, yeah. in in mid-pitch to Neymar. But Danny Alves is bigger than all that and, and is a character who I know has organised a sort of get-together lunch today, actually, as we speak. It'll be after training, so it'll be carrying on the next hour or so. For for peace brokering, the whole squad, not just the protagonists, but everybody there to try and take the sting out of it. I don't know whether Cavani will buy into that. But and, and I think it used to be in our in our culture that we grew up in football clubs, top football clubs, 
used to have drinking sessions to sort this out. And even there we say drinking sessions and a couple of fisticuffs and maybe it was sorted out. But yeah. In the continent, these these convivial lunches to, to build squad harmony are are believed in, are practiced. So the you know, the Butchers Butchers Galley effect is going on at the moment. Whether Cavani buys into or not, I don't know. But just let me pass back to you by saying if you're Neymar and you're the most expensive player ever and Price and Germain have gone all in, double all in for you, and you don't say I want it known, owner, and you tell the coach and he'd tell the squad that I'm taking the penalties, then you're a dope, aren't you? I'd say so. And what you just said there about the way that players used to sort these things out, I had this horrible image in my head of Cavani and Neymar having a dance-off to sort out who takes the pens from now on. And that's just dreadful. I'd much rather they went and drank shots somewhere, preferably... I've got a a better hairstyle than you and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Exactly, exactly. Before we leave uh, FC Hollywood, though, I've got to mention four players who are incredibly uh, talented and I suspect would be very much wanted around Europe, even in the January window. Don't have to talk about it in great detail, but Angel Di Maria, Julian Draxler, Marco Verratti, Lucas Moura, not playing regularly for PSG. Um, it looks like you know one, two of them may leave in January. Who would be your two top tips for leaving, Graham? Yeah, probably... Uh... Mura and Di Maria. Di Maria is a very ambitious guy, even if he's a slightly odd guy. And he is, if Argentina are to win the World Cup at the moment, they're still to qualify for it, then his ability to, to link with Messi, to work, to create, has to be fundamental. If he's not getting club football, it's obvious he, he must move. He should have moved, and it was only because it was Barcelona doing all the calling and their relationship between Barcelona and PSG is not good. Um, I can see him moving, and I hope he does. I adore watching him, and um, I want to see him playing every week at a club. I couldn't give a stuff where it is, even if it's Wisher United. Um, oh, I'd like, we'd love in terms of Verratti, Verratti, I don't, I don't know if he's tough enough, but Verratti... Um, I don't believe there's any chance of him moving at Christmas. If, if, if he moves at Christmas, the, the whole world is broken down. They fought yeah. like tigers to retain him. He's a phenomenal footballer. Absolutely phenomenal. He got a lesson um, from Asensio um, and Isco, Isco particularly, pardon me, uh, for Spain, Spain, Italy, and didn't have a good night. But came back, fought back quickly. He's a guy who will get suspended all the time. He has a definite proclivity to to bully players, to, to noise up referees and get booked. But he is exceptional. And if he moves, one, given the fact that hopefully it'll come through the playoffs and go to the World Cup, I, to be moving before a World Cup, and, and I don't see his future if it's somewhere other than Paris Saint-Germain. And, you know, the, the, the owners have said, no way. This, this, is, this is our patrimony. We, we, we keep this guy. We build around this guy. And they're right. Thiago Motta's renewal of contract does not mean that he's a 50-game-a-season man for them at this stage of his career. Yeah. No chance. Matuidi's gone, Ian. You know, Matuidi, yeah. you, look, you look at what they've bought and what they've done <clears> by <throat> not buying a centre-half, that, that the, the kind of cover that they needed, that Matuidi was allowed to go, I, I, I don't know about balance. And without Verratti, then they can just kiss goodbye to what could be a, a beautiful season. For them. Could, be, could even be a treble, their first ever treble season could be. So Verratti, no. Lucas Moura, I think, will, will again, will desire to play and probably won't get enough game time. Draxler, what a footballer. How, how could you have him and waste him? That I don't understand. 
Well, I, I would argue that their um, FFP woes um, are likely to grow rather than reduce. And so if the ability to come sell in this January window, which of course would be come in this financial year, as far as yeah. you ever are concerned, then yeah. they could mitigate any fee or indeed transfer ban, which would be dreadful for them uh, next summer. Um, we're going to call a, a close to this uh, transfer window podcast, uh, but from FC Hollywood, I think we have to move to podcast royalty. And um, <laughs> Graham Hunter uh, is someone who for the last few years has been bringing some absolutely superb, entertaining, ins- insightful interviews through the big interview. And uh, Graham, I would like to invite you just to let our listeners know where they can find the big interview and GH podcast, please. Uh, thank you very much. It's, if they go to uh, patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter, or if they go to grahamhunter.tv and sign up there. They'll get Jamie Murray today for free talking about his love of Hibs, his cup final appearances, um, his analysis of the team that he supports in England, Manchester United, some good stories about WWF wrestling matches with his big brother Andy, and ladder matches, actually, that they used to stage in their house. He's a funny, sharp uh, guy who'll tell you who the best football players in the ATP Tour are, and imminently... uh, one of the most fascinating, um, most revelatory interviews I've ever conducted with uh, Robbie Keane is coming up uh, for Socios at the beginning of October, um, talking about his relationship with David Beckham, life at LA Galaxy, brilliant analysis of David Tier uh, Berbatov, and how many people he's seen in football who are not there to win, who, who, who fake the idea that they're in the game, in their career to win, and, and how disgusted he is with people like that. Two interviews that if you fancy listening to them, I hope we can say, Ian, people haven't wasted their time. Well, it sounds sensational. And um, on that very point, could you please, if Andy Murray mentioned the night that he and I met in the Lilac Lounge of the Standard <laughs> Hotel in uh, on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles, can you please have your he, producer edit that out? He said that you were in full WWF gear and that's why you remember. Oh, it. see, that's why he spares it out because <laughs> that's not true. I was, I was wearing my boxer shorts. Too much information. I bet to say boxing shorts. There you go. Graham Hunter, sensational as always. Thank you very much for your time and your insight. Uh, this has been the Transfer Window podcast with me, Ian McGarry. Uh, we hope you enjoy this. And if you do, tell your friends and tell them where to find us. And also tell them to get on to the big interview with Graham Hunter. We will speak to you next week. Thank you. Adios. <laughs>